The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. We're going to continue in the gospel of Luke, a feast for failures, right? Uh, that's the title that we've given this sermon series. Today we're going to be looking at the birth of Jesus, right? Each Christmas, the world celebrates baby Jesus, right? Uh, coming into the world through his mother, Mary, who happened to be a virgin, right? Homes are decorated and they're adorned with all these nativity scenes. Nevertheless, listen, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is an enigma. It's an enigma to our culture at large. We, they think they understand. Many Christians think they understand, but, but they've, they've shoved a lot of, let's say, other things into the story. And so, uh, spoiler alert, there's no drummer boy, right? You might have known that. Um, but they've shoved a lot of things into the story, and, and they've really confused something that's just absolutely beautiful. And because of that, many people, even within the church culture, have dismissed Jesus and kind of you know, they don't even believe in a divine invasion of Jesus Christ coming and putting on flesh to save us from our sins. So they dismiss him. They dismiss his birth and they include him into a host of, let's say, myths, legends, fables, and folklore. And they just say, he's with that group, right? Uh, the question comes down to this. It really does boil down to this question. Who exactly was Jesus? Who exactly is Jesus? This is the question that whether you realize it or not, you must wrestle with. Who is he? Who is the Christ man? And, and this is the, listen, Luke is setting out to answer that question. Luke is investigating the man who is God. And so as we continue for, let's say, two years, could be less, could be more. This is what we're seeking to answer because as we understand Christ more fully, more completely from the word, as he reveals himself by his spirit, you will become what you behold and you will worship him. You will adore him as you, as you see him. Because if you see Christ for who he is, you will love him. You love him. And you say, well, I don't love him. Then you have a sight problem. Because if you see him, you can't help but love him. You can't help but adore him. So who exactly is Jesus Christ. Well, let's, let's, let's work. Um, let's do some work. I, I got to tell you, with Jesus, it, it's very easy to be complicated, and it's difficult to be simple, or let's say simplistic, right? We, we sometimes just want to confuse the gospel message, but, but I got to tell you, it, it's so simply beautiful. <laughs> it really is. If we just let the word of God speak, right? And not try to say all these other things. So let's look at the word of God. Let's look at Luke 2, 1 through 5. We're going to go through and down to verse 21, as Pastor Kevin read in a moment ago. But let's just take this. And we're going to seek the answer, who is Christ, from this text. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cornelius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. So, first point, simply, Jesus 
entered human history. This is a historical moment, right? This guy, right? When I say this guy, I mean Caesar Augustus. You can read in history books about this man and his rule and his reign at that time when he was ruling in Rome. So we have a, we have a date. We have a stamp, right? Now, chances are it's not December 25th. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Boo. Yeah. But they don't know the exact date. But we do know a moment in history. Jesus came. He put on flesh and he entered in an amazing way, as we'll see as we continue, right? Um, notice this, right? The, the fact that the mention of Caesar here is so important because he's a Roman emperor, okay? Augustus means holy or revealed, revered, I'm sorry, revered. That's what it means. That's what the word means. So his name brings to mind power, glory. Uh, he, ha- he was one of the greatest rulers of Roman times. Now, why does this matter? Because he's a powerful man. Do you know he was hailed as the son of God? He was hailed as the son of the deified. He was, even many, many hailed him as savior of the world. And you might think, well, why does that matter? Because it's not surprising that God would choose this moment in history, in time, to send his son to show the world who actually is the savior of the world, right? And, And so we shouldn't be surprised that God in his sovereignty chose this moment to enter human history through Jesus Christ. Uh, don't forget Luke 152 and Mary's song, where it says this, and I really think this is a huge text to understanding all of what Luke is teaching through the gospel of Luke. It says, God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. So keep that in mind as we continue to look at this text. So, so, so listen, 700 years prior to Jesus putting on flesh, to the moment of Christmas, right? Micah prophesied this, listen, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephraim, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, meaning you're such an inconsequential town. I mean, it's just so small, right? No one even notices you. But but God notices. And he says, from you shall come forth from one who is to be the ruler of Israel. That's in Micah 5.2. So 700 years before the incarnation of God through Christ the God-man, God, through a prophet, told everyone, this is going to happen, and it will happen in Bethlehem. And and that had to be shocking, right? Why? Because Messiah being born in Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary were not there. Okay, well, uh, is God's hand tied? No, he's going to fulfill this prophecy. All the true prophecies of God are fulfilled or will be fulfilled at one time. Why? Because God never lies. Okay, is, he, is his hands tied? How do I get them there? Uh, do I send them an angel and tell them to go north? No, he'll work through the governor. Right? Don't miss this. God is sovereign, which means he rules the universe. He's all-powerful. He's perfectly in control. He works through politics. He works through geography. He works through everyone and everything to bring about what he said he would do. He's all-powerful, perfectly in control. So 700 years ago when this was prophesied, little did the arrogant Augustus know uh, that he would be an instrument used in the hands of God to bring about God's purposes through that particular man to bring about the king of kings, right? Don't miss the greatness of our God here. Do not miss it, right? Psalm 115.3 says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Have you ever thought about that? 
Everything he does brings him glory. He enjoys. Why? Because he's never constrained against anything other than his absolute power and perfection. That's good news, right? There's no limits to God's rule or reign. We don't worship a distant deity. And we need to know that. God is intimately involved and perfectly in charge. Not Caesar, not the government, nor any human, nor any demon, nor anything else has ultimate authority over you. But God. And he has a beautiful plan of redemption and no devil not satan nor anyone can stop this plan from happening god is never helpless he's never frustrated he's never at a loss do you think of god that way oh man he would help me if he could no wrong god is sovereign over the universe god is sovereign over salvation god is sovereign over suffering man people don't want to believe that well if god could he would well he can and he is choosing not to. Why? Because he has a great plan. And if you're his, it's for your ultimate good that you might be more like Christ. And it's for his glory. And it's to bring about redemption and beauty in this plan to allow you in that moment. It's not that he doesn't see you. He does see you. He does love you. And if you're in Christ, you ever wonder, well, then why does he allow this to happen? It's the wrong question. The right question is, does God love me? Yes. How do I know? I look to the cross. I look to the empty grave. He's done everything to show me he loves me. It's not your circumstances. It's your Christ that shows his love for you, right? God is sovereign over churches. God is sovereign over cults, children, and everything. Why why do I say this? Because it's a huge point. This truth ought to bring you much comfort if you're in Christ. And when I say in Christ, trusting in Jesus for your salvation, right? Um, God uses all of our steps and even our missteps, think about that, to get us exactly where he wants us to be, to do exactly what he plans to do. And, and, and now, if this is true then, might it not also be true now? So I can't unpack all that thought, but that means he wasn't surprised by a pandemic. It means he wasn't surprised by the election. He wasn't surprised by any of this. God allowed all these things to happen Because he has a plan of beauty to come in. Do you trust that? Do you trust him? I hope you do. So how would you expect that this sovereign God would enter human history? My guess is you would never expect the way he did. You're not drawing that up in your imagination, right? Look at Luke 2, and and let's look at verses 6 and 7. Because this is how. How did did Jesus enter the world? How did God become incarnate in the world? While they were there, notice that phrase, while they were there. While they were where? Bethlehem. Okay, so what does that tell me? It tells me that Mary and Joseph, whether they were on a donkey or not, I don't know. Uh, But Mary, she wasn't sitting sideways on a donkey and arriving just in the nick of time. No, it says while they were there. They were there. How long? I don't know, but they were there. The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. We'll come back to that. Because there was no place for them in the inn. And we'll come back to that. Okay, trigger alert. Ready? Ready? We have so much cultural Christian clutter in our heads when it comes to the Bible narrative that the truth and the beauty of the Bible is lost. So let's look at it with fresh eyes. How do you picture it? 
Well, if, if, I, if you had a chance to talk, you'd probably picture Joseph and Mary arriving at the hotel, motel, Holiday Inn, just in the nick of time, right? Uh, put a little wiki-wiki after that, right? It's a good rap song. And they arrive, and, and what happens? You've got a guy there that always looks like a troll from Harry Potter, right? And, and they need a place to stay. And immediately, you know, with the pointy ears and a furrowed brow, he just says, nope, sorry, no place for you in the inn. And they're like, oh, what will we do? And they, they don't know. And so they go wandering and they find a what? A barn, right? And then they land in the barn and, and they do the thing. And oh, silent night. And isn't it just wonderful? Where's, where's the star above the manger? Not there right? Um, how about the drummer boy? I don't even know where that even comes from. I could probably study it, but who cares, right? All this nonsense clutters the beauty of the simple story. What is the simple story? Well, let's look. It comes down to a translation of a Greek word. I don't drop that so you think I'm smart. I do the best I can, but I can study people who are smart, and let me tell you this. There's a word called kataluma, and it's it's right here, okay, in this text for in. Why this matters? I'm going to tell you why it matters. Because in Luke 22, 11, the same word is used, okay? Now, why does that matter? Because it's translated there, guest room, okay? Well, why didn't they translate it here, guest room? That's a great question. You should ask that when you read the Bible. But that's where Jesus ate the Passover with his disciples. Now, if you were to walk into a, a Palestinian home at that time, they had a spot up here on the corner that would have been the guest room, okay? And then you had the main living area on the first floor with a little step down where you could actually bring farm animals in that you loved and that you cared for because they were food and all these different things. And they could stay warm and they could be kept safe in this little area where they would lay. But then you had to step up and then the rest of the family would lay here, and you had a guest room. And that was the main living quarters. So when, when we read this, if we actually understand, if, if Luke wanted to communicate the word in, you know what word he would use? He wouldn't use kataluma. He'd use a different word that's found in Luke 10.34. And that room is the one that the good Samaritan finds for his beaten up victim friend and puts him in the inn. Because they did have inns at that time. But Jesus and Mary and baby Jesus and Joseph, they didn't go to the hotel, motel, holiday inn. Guess where they probably were? With family. With family. They were with family. Why? Because they went there to be registered. And where was Joseph's family? Bethlehem. Good. You're following along, right? And the guest room was full. And maybe it wasn't good for Mary to go climbing on ladders anyway. She's a little top heavy. So, right? So, so they cared for her by making sure she had a place, but she had a place and she had a people and they were there because Joseph, he's a good dude. He ain't waiting to the last moment. Like when, you know, the, the, the head's about to crest, right? And voila, to throw her on a donkey. We probably should get there a little earlier. And so he did that. He prepared that and he arrived there and they're waiting for this moment. Okay. Listen, there's more. Let's keep going. So they're staying in the home of relatives, and, and if you disagree with that, that's fine. That's fine. I, and the only reason you would disagree with that is not because of the Bible. It's because you love your narrative with the drummer boy and all the little magical things and cows smiling, and it's a silent night, and everybody's glowing and happy and spikes flying off the face. But can I just tell you, we love the Bible here. Not, not imagination. 
We love the Word of God, and we want to get back to the truth of the gospel, and this is just beautiful to see. So, picture it. Joseph and Mary surrounded with family to love and to be loved by as she gave birth to Jesus. By the way, when Mary finally gave birth to her sweet boy, she wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Uh, you know, it's just to keep him tight, keep his little arms from flailing around, keep him warm because he was in his mommy's womb and it was a great place to be. But now he's out and it's cold and there are animals there, right? But notice it says she laid him in a manger. And we always think manger is a barn, but a manger actually is a feeding trough. That's what it is. That's what it means. So, so that makes sense, right? Because you got all the animals here and they're eating. And where are we going to put them? We didn't go and get a crib, right? Okay, let's clean out the fodder and let's put little baby Jesus here. It could have been wood. It could have been stone. We don't know. Why, why, do, why do we not as a church embrace this kind of narrative, which is a biblical narrative? I'll tell you why. Because it's very hard to sing the song away in a feeding trough. <laughs> it, it really is. Just try it. Um, maybe, we'll, maybe we could write that. There's a, there, there you go, Colton. Away in a feeding trough. It, it messes up the narrative that, that cultural Christianity's put out there. But man, can you just picture the beauty? They're all waiting. You know she's told stories. Mary, help us understand. You're pregnant. You're not married. That's a scandal. Um, let me tell you. An angel came to visit me. I, I'm carrying the Savior of the world. The anticipation that would have been in that house would have been stunning. But don't miss it. It's not a fairy tale. It happened in history. Okay? That's point one. Point two, Jesus came in humility. Just take the time to consider the humility of our God. Right? Jesus was born into the world not as a prince, but in, in extreme poverty. This is how he chose, right? Listen to Colossians 1, 16 and 17. It says, for by him, by Jesus, okay, all things were created. Think about that. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things. What, what is all things? All things. Everything. You mean everything? Everything. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's a text. What is this saying? It's saying that Jesus didn't come into being in this moment. Oh, you, you got to get this. So many people, I got this so confused as an, a new Christian. I got this so confused, like, God's son, that means there was a time he wasn't, and then there was a time that he was, and then he became a baby, that's weird, and then he became God. Wrong. Wrong. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches we worship one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit, okay? Jesus is one person of the triune God, and he has two natures. He's fully human, and he's fully divine, okay? So, he, in his divine nature, has always existed. Now, just think about that. He willingly humbled himself to the process of being born. Think of That's wild, right? Give thought to that. Laid in a feeding trough, right? He humbled himself to the point that he needed his mother's breast to be fed. It's pretty stunning, right? He needed her hands to change his dirty dighty. You mean Jesus... 
Yeah, Jesus cockeyed. Yeah, he did, right? The omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, present everywhere at all times, right? Omnipresent, omnipresent, omniscient is all-knowing. God of the universe put on flesh. He added humanity. Some, some theologians would say he became man. I don't like that. He added humanity to himself. He's always existed. He upholds the world and everything in it by the power of his word. And now he's being held by his creation. He upholds Mary while Mary holds him. And he allowed that. Not only did he allow that, he, he planned it. His head now rests where cattle feed. And this is the God-man, Jesus Christ. It's, it's difficult to imagine a less powerful, less privileged person on the planet than at that moment with this infant sleeping in a feeding trough. Don't miss the contrast. The contrast is this. The man recognized by the onlooking world as the king, Augustus, Caesar Augustus. He lived in a palace. He's surrounded by wealth, great power, or so he thinks. Jesus, however, could not have been more humble because, but listen, listen, his kingdom will far outreach Rome. Rome is a ruins now that you can go visit and give 20 bucks to and go walk around and tramp around in it. Jesus' kingdom is eternal. It's forever. Do you see the upside down picture of the kingdom of God? And when we say kingdom here, know this. Kingdom means rule and reign of God. That's what it means. A lot of people like to add other things into that, right? We're growing the kingdom. You're never growing the kingdom. The kingdom is, okay? It's, it is, okay? Now, by God's grace, we see him build the church, okay? But that's under his rule, under his reign, but so is everyone else. So we see this, but, but don't miss it. He is the king of kings. There is no end to his eternal kingdom. And this is so very near at the heart of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died for sinners, right? Look at, you don't have to turn there, just listen to me. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich... And rich here doesn't mean like Benjamin's. It means he owns everything. He's rich, richly blessed, abundant. Yet for your sake, he became poor. He emptied himself. We learn as Paul talks in Philippians 2. Why? Why would he do this? Because you guys are awesome. That's in the first and second book of nowhere. <laughs> Why would he do this? so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. See it? He allows himself to become poor so that you and I can inherit. Inherit what? Something you could never earn. What is that? Forgiveness of sin, adoption, become children of God and inherit. All that Christ's perfect life purchased, you receive by faith, which means you get the delight of the Father. He so loves his son. And if you're trusting in Jesus, guess what that means? He so loves you. Why? Because you're lovable. No. It's not the gospel. 
It's not good news at all because that means you've got to maintain something. It means you've got to maintain your awesomeness, right? No, you could wake up a train wreck and his love doesn't change for you because his love is never ultimately about you, even though he's very much for you. See the difference? Oh, and this is why Christ comes. Jesus willingly became low in order that we might inherit a great spiritual treasure, which is ultimately God himself. Incarnate means incarnate, carne, chili, carn, carn. It just means chili with meat. God put on meat. It's really what it means. You won't forget it when I say silly things like this. You think I'm just like unhinged and not thinking. I'm thinking. We, I never try to get up here and be super intellectual with you. We study this not necessarily like scholars, but like soldiers. Soldiers. Now, it requires us to think deeply but it, because we're learners. We need to see truth, and we need it brought to us simply so we can understand it, so we can actually know what to do with this Word of God, which is ultimately worship God. Okay? So he puts on flesh. We must never forget that this is where Christianity begins, with humility. It's where it always begins. Humble, right? With a sense of need. You and I are needy people. We want to be independent people. But you and I, if we can be honest, we're, we're dependent. We need. We're needy. You're needy. I'm needy. We need to understand our insufficiency. We're not sufficient in and of ourselves. We're very poor in spirit. We need. What do we need? We need God. So what did he do about that? He came to us. Came to us. Why? Because we could never get to him. We could never get to him. So he said, I got you. He didn't say it like that. But he came to us. Let's continue. Let's, and we're, we're going to take the rest of the section in one fell swoop. Look at Luke 2, 8 through 21. Man, picture this, right? I know your imagination is a little limited, and you don't want to get crazy with the thought, but just imagine the moment. If you had to do a Netflix series just on this text, what might it look like? What might it look like? Stunning. And in the same region, it wouldn't look all goofy like most of them do, but anyway, that's a side point. Come to lunch. We can continue that if you want. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. That had been amazing. And they were filled with what? Great fear. We see this over and over and over and over in Luke's narrative. When angels show up, humans get like fearful, on their face, afraid, right? But, but listen to what they say. And the angel said to them, it's the same thing he said to Mary. Like he just over and over, hey, fear not. Why? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. What is the sign? A star over the barn. No. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. What's the sign? A baby lying in a food trough. Don't, don't miss that. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. There's your sign. You want a sign? There's your sign. Right? And suddenly, okay, 
That's great news. That's good news. Great joy. There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, whew, that would have been a sight. A multitude, not one, not two, not a couple hundred. What's a multitude? A number probably greater than you and I could probably imagine. They all are waiting for the moment of redemption. They don't know. Their angels aren't all knowing. But here it is. All the things we've been worshiping our great God with, they're coming to be in this moment, at this time. And they show up and listen to what they say. They say this, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them. This has been a sight. The whole sky would have lit up. Right? You have to think that. The whole sky would have lit up. What was that? Was that like lightning? What was that? Atomic bomb, they don't have that language yet. Unfortunately, because of the wickedness of man, that man will someday in the near future know that language. But it would have been a spectacle. But they go away from them into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Wow, that was wild. Um, that's not what it says. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, that means really quickly, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, what? It. They're not calling Jesus it. They're saying the sign. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things. Boy, this girl's a She's a meditator. She's a thinker. You, you can see it in chapter one, too. She, she doesn't speak first, man. This girl just ponders. She thinks about all these things that are happening. You'll see it at the end of chapter two, too. She ponders all these things. She treasured them up in her heart, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. I love that God, in his kindness, chose shepherds to share the good news of great joy with. The, the announcement didn't come to the mighty. And if you think shepherds were probably pretty mighty, mm, no. It came to shepherds. It didn't come to priests. It didn't come to rulers, it came to shepherds, not scribes, not Pharisees, shepherds. Which, by the way, reminds us that God comes to those who are needy, not affluent, right? He'll come to you there too, but you better get low. You better get low, because you, if you're affluent, you don't need Jesus. You, you don't need Jesus. Not unless he's in his kindness he's revealed that to you, right? And that's a gift of grace, which is how we all come in. Shepherds were a despised bunch, right? We don't get this in our culture, um, but they were despised by the good and reputable of that day. Uh, according to the, the Mishnah, okay, shepherds were under a ban, okay? What does that mean? They were regarded as thieves, right? Nobody was like seeking this job. They weren't going to school for this job. It's the job you got, not the job you wanted, okay? Um, what does that look like in our culture? Well, I don't want to offend anyone, but let's just say this. You're not aiming for this moment, right? You're hanging out with animals in the middle of the night in a field trying to keep wolves from eating them. No one's saying, that's the one I want. And by the way, don't you love the fact that God in his kindness calls himself the good shepherd? Why? Because sheep are so needy, and so vulnerable 
And he's willing to take that low job to care for us. There's so many things we could go off. But don't miss this. God only comes to those who sense their need. He does not come to the self-sufficient. It doesn't. Because you'd never receive him. The gospel is for those who know they need Jesus. And ultimately it's for everyone as we're going to get to. But, but picture the fact. why He comes in the most strange ways. I'm going to come as a baby. Uh, let's pick a virgin. Mary. Right? And who am I going to tell the news to? How about these rascals? And how am I going to tell? I mean, he just doesn't do anything in the way that you would think he would do, which tells us we need to get to know God, not pretend we know God and make him a God that we can be comfortable with. We come to the word of God to be transformed in our mind. We don't come to transform the word to make it fit our mind. That's so important in our culture. Well, that makes me uncomfortable. Good. Good. It's good to be uncomfortable. Otherwise, you end up, because remember, the question we asked at the beginning is, who is Christ? Who is Jesus? And what happens many times is we don't come to the Word of God and get our answer from the Word of God as He reveals Himself in the Scripture by His Spirit. What we do is we come to the Word of God and say, well, my Jesus would never do that. My Jesus would never say that. My Jesus would be fine with that. My Jesus, my Jesus. I don't care about your Jesus unless your Jesus is the Jesus of the Bible. Why? Because he's the only one who is. And so if you think you're being all enlightened, well, I know it's big right now to just deconstruct your faith. You can deconstruct it to a point that it's not a Christian faith and you no longer have faith in the God who saves Now, if you're saying in your deconstruction, what I mean is I want to get back to the heart of the word of God and to the gospel. Well, then, hey, you deconstruct every day because that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to come to the word of God, not shove my theology in it, but say, you shape my theology from this word. And so he comes to shepherds and it's like, I got some news for you. Sky lights up and they go. But let's focus on what they learned. That's the third point. Here's here's the big moment. Who's Jesus? Luke's going to answer that for the next two years. You could read ahead. You could read it all today. And you should. But we're going to work our way through it to get a clear picture of who Christ is from the Word of God, particularly the the book of Luke. Third point, Jesus is the promised Savior of the world. This, is indeed, this indeed is good news of great joy, right? This news is for all people. <laughs> it's for shepherds. It's for barren women, right? It, it's for poor teenagers. It's for doubting priests. It, this is the beauty of the gospel is that it is for all people. See, God doesn't come to people who are kind and deserve his love. Because if he did... Guess how many people would receive that news and get that news? None. Why? Because in fact, there are no people that are kind and nice apart from God and his kindness. None. Instead, in great love, he sent Jesus to bring salvation to a people like us anyway. This is why I say all the time, he loves us in spite of us. Some people don't like that. That's okay. It's the truth. We, we always want to add something to it. Like there's something in me that makes God love me or want me. No. The only thing you and I bring to the table is, ready? Sin and need. 
What's the need? Need of forgiveness. Need of righteousness. That's it. You're like, but I'm a pretty good person. You might be. You might be. But God comes to those who are far from him. Those who are rebelling against him. What's our greatest need? To have our sins removed. Why? How do we know that? Well, number one, God, notice, did not send an economist. Why? Because our greatest need is not poverty. Doesn't mean that doesn't matter. It does matter. He didn't send a philosopher. Why? Because our greatest problem isn't that we're incoherent. It's not that. No, he didn't send a psychologist. I know this is tricky. Why? Because our greatest problem is not a mental disorder. It might be a great problem, but it's not the greatest problem. He didn't send an entertainer. Why? Because our greatest problem isn't that we're bored. You might be bored, though. But it's not your greatest problem. He didn't send an administrator, although I need those in my life. Thank you for sending them, God. Because his problem, our greatest problem isn't that we're disorganized. He sent a Savior, the Savior, the Lamb of God, who has come to take away the sins of the world. So listen, no matter whatever situation you find yourself in this morning, Jesus can deliver you. He can deliver you. He sent the Savior of the world, Jesus, the Son of God, who came to earth through a miraculous birth of a virgin mother. Her name was Mary. He was born in human flesh. He lived in the flesh. He died in the flesh. He resurrected in the flesh. And he now lives forever, eternally, in the flesh, glorified at the right hand of his Father. This is the God we worship. He can deliver you. The angel said he came to bring good news of great joy that was for how many people? All people. No matter what, no matter who, he can deliver you. He can help you. He can save you. Let's just take a moment and talk about this. The gospel is the most inclusive and exclusive message in all the universe. Let me explain that to you. When when I say that the gospel is the most inclusive It means it's for everyone. The news went out. It's for all people. How many people? A-L-L. All. Does that mean everyone? Yes. Yes. It's for everyone. Okay? It's inclusive. Come, Jesus say, to me and receive forgiveness of sins. Trust me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me, Jesus would say to everybody. It's inclusive. But it is exclusive in the sense that the only way that you can go is through repentance and faith in that one true Christ. So the message goes out to everyone. Who's welcome to receive it? Everyone. Does everyone receive it? No. That's what makes it exclusive. It's a narrow way. And he is the way. And so he says, come. So, so here comes the thing. We've we got to think about this. Jesus, who is fully man and fully God, who is the eternal God, who draws near to the very sinful humanity. And he draws very near. He's not distant. He's not a withdrawn God. You may feel that right now. You, if you're suffering, oftentimes that's when you'll feel it. If you're hurting, that's often when you'll feel it. But you've got to fight those lies with the truth of God's word. He's not far from you. He's very near. He's actually closer to you than your very own skin. I feel alone. Okay. I'm sorry you're hurting. I'm sorry you're hurting. Drag that into the light. Get some people around you 
to encourage you in the word, to, to give you a hug, to make you some soup, to let you cry. But God's not far from you. It's a lie. It's a lie. He's very near to you. He's done everything that makes so forever. So he comes near. Our God is humble. He's a giving God. He's not selfish. He's not, he's not stingy. He lavishes love upon his people. He lavishes grace upon his people. Can I tell you he lavishes love and grace on those who don't really even recognize him, see him, or want anything to do with him? The fact that we get to see the leaves changing and the sun coming in and a little breeze coming through right now is a picture, although it's kind of silly when you think about the magnitude of who he is, but it's not trite of his love. There's people all over this city right now probably waking up from a drunken stupor, feeling the warmth of the sun on their face. Do they deserve that? No. Do you deserve it? No. He's just kind. He gives. Our God is purposeful. He's a planning God. He's not random. He's not a reactionary God like, like most parents, you know, when your kid blows it, you blow it, right? He's not like that. He's not like that at all. He, he, he has purpose in everything he does or allows. And if you're in Christ, it's always good. It's always good. Our God is a God who is far above us and whose ways are not our ways. We don't have a God that we can put in a nice, tidy box and control. He won't allow it. He will not allow it. And you wouldn't want a God like that anyway. Our God is a God who redeems us by his blood, not a God who leaves us in our sin. It's the beauty of the gospel. Our God is great indeed, church. He's great. He's so great. I think of my friend Justin, and I know he knew how great he was. Well, then why didn't he get his life straightened out? It doesn't always work that way. But it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, that any of us come in to the one and only true God into his presence. Listen once again as I read the angel's announcement in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Listen to the word peace. Who here wants peace? Oh, you all do, whether you know it or not. Among those with whom he is pleased. Don't, don't miss that language. God has come to bring eternal peace. What's the peace he's talking about? Well, if you watch the news, you know it's not peace here on earth as though we would like it to be, right? Um, and if it is, then God's failed. And God doesn't fail. What's the peace he's brought? Peace between a holy, perfect God and a sinful humanity. But notice it says peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Other translations say that his favor rests upon. What does that mean? Who's he pleased with? Is he, is he pleased with those who make it to church every Sunday? That's not why he's pleased with you, although it might be pleasing to him, right? Who is it that he's pleased with? We know from the Bible in Hebrews eleven six that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Who's he pleased with? those who trust this great God. Faith. 
faith. So if you have faith, and I'm talking even the smallest amount, that Christ died to save sinners who you are, (laughs) then can I just tell you right now, ready? He's pleased with you. And you have peace. You have peace. Christmas happened in a time and a place in Bethlehem. When you have faith in God, Christmas happens in your heart. In that moment, right now, you have peace with God forever. You may war against him, but his favor, his grace, his mercy, his peace rests upon you. Now, he will discipline you. Stick around this church. We'll talk more about that. That's exciting. And it is because all good fathers will discipline their children. That's not abuse. It's discipline their children. By the way, don't confuse abuse with discipline. It is a different thing. So if you, if you look at your kid right now and you think, well, I'm going to elbow you. That's why I hit you with the belt. That's never okay. It's never okay. There's a difference between discipline and abuse. Big time. And we have a perfect God who doesn't abuse his children. He sends his son to receive abuse from sinful humanity so that you and I don't have to receive his wrath. That's the gospel. And you have peace with him. No matter what your situation right now, you have peace with God. I want you to imagine the delight that God has when he looks upon you. Because I think a lot of times we think he looks at me with a frown. He doesn't look at you with a frown. He delights over you. I know because the word tells us that over and over and over and over again. He is pleased with you. His peace resides over you. And if you're in Christ, his peace resides in you. Why? Because he's given you himself. This is the point of Christmas. What's the point of Christmas? The point of Christmas is that Jesus came He put on flesh to die in the place of sinners so that you and I can have peace with God. Now, he accomplished many other things, as we'll read throughout Luke, but that's the apex. Why did he come? To make a way to draw near and for us to draw near fully, finally, and forever. So no matter what the rest of your day brings, peace. I want you to, I'm going to say this and we're done. If you're here and you're not trusting in Jesus Christ, I want you to have no peace. I mean that. I had the conversation with a young man the other night and he felt comforted by some words, but he's not, he wasn't trusting in Jesus at the time or if he was, he hadn't explicitly said that. And he said, that, thanks, that really brought me a lot of peace. And I said, are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Because if not, I don't want you to have peace. I want you to be tormented. I will pray that the Holy Spirit just presses upon your conscience until you bend your knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So listen to me. If you're not trusting in Jesus Christ, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, the peace that we're talking about right now isn't for you. But remember, it's the most inclusive message. could be for you right now. You could receive it right now. But if it's not, don't, don't, don't. Make up a story or a narrative that God's pleased with you. He's not pleased with you. You're under his wrath. I don't get joy from telling you that. But man, he sent his son so that you might receive grace and lavished by love. So don't remain there. Receive the free gift of grace. How do I receive it? By trusting him. That's it. And if you do that, 
I'm not going to do every eye closed, every head down, every hand up. Talk to someone here about, I want to know more about Christ, but don't go home today until you've received that peace. Okay? Why? Because it's why he came. He loves you. I can say that for sure. He loves you. He sees you, and he desires that you come and receive the gift that he's given some 2,000 years ago in and of himself. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the beautiful gift of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for revealing your beauty to us. If it were not for that, none of us would receive this beautiful gift. Not one of us are, are here because of our intelligence or because of any other reason other than Christ loves to save sinners and you shown yourself to us. So Lord, if there be anyone here who's not convinced yet of the gospel, I pray that you would open their eyes to see and to believe and that today would be the day of salvation for them. For the rest who have by your grace received this eternal beautiful gift of relationship with God forever. Lord, we thank you, we praise you. We pray that all we do magnifies the great name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons Find out more information about For the City or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.